Hey there, future fans! This week, I didn't watch the movies I said I would, but I promise it will be interesting. This is the week of January 29th, 2021, and this is episode 191 of Future Flicks with Billiam. Alright, future fans, welcome to the show. If you hear a weird thumping sound in the back, it's because there's this weird thing with our drainage pipes off the uh, off the roof where it doesn't seem to just slide down the pipe. It goes straight down and then thunks into this other pipe that's supposed to catch it and pu- pull it away. But it makes this hollow thunking sound, just thunk, thunk, thunk. And it there was one that had been keeping me up for a while when it was raining. I took care of that. And by took care of it, I just mean smash the pipe. And now there's this other one that we never noticed because that other dripping sound was so loud. So yay, noises. Anyway, my future friends, that's right. We have different movies than I promised you a while back, actually. And that's because my wife and I got HBO Max only for a month. Because we decided that we do want to watch stuff, but we don't want another streaming service we're constantly paying for. So we decided to get it, cancel it, wait a bit, get it again, cancel it, and all so on and so forth. Or especially when something big comes out, because we know this year HBO Max is getting some movies straight to streaming that are also being released in the theaters. Certain Warner Brothers movies, and of course you know that's made a lot of people angry. We'll actually be talking a bit about that later in the show. But the movies I watched instead that I want to talk about are on HBO Max. And I'm sorry, HBO Max no longer has a free trial just because they. it seems like they got rid of it because they're going to be doing this big movies straight to streaming thing. So they didn't want people trying a free trial with it, watching this big movie, canceling, and then keep on re-signing up with a different email, a different credit card, which is kind of exactly what we had planned on doing. So good for you. Uh, Good for you, HBO Max. You got a little bit of our money. And after experiencing HBO Max for a while, it really is the weaker of the streaming services. Because I still don't have CBS All Access, which will soon be Paramount something, the Paramount Network or something. Uh, I don't have NBC's Peacock. I don't have these things, but I can see the benefit of it if you love the shows on that network. But as far as major ones go, HBO Max really is the lesser of all of them. Well, anyway, thank you once again for bearing with me when we had another week of no show. I just had a relapse and felt awful, and I just needed another week to recoup. And now we're back. Yay, we're back yet again. This is the third time we're back this year. First, we came back from break. Then we came back from the first time I got sick. And now we're back from the relapse. That's uh, that's a new record. But either way, let us jump into the first segment, which, as always, is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. All right, my friends, our first story comes to us from Bustle, and it's about the future of Black Panther. We do know a few things. We do know that Letitia Wright's anti-vax bullshit, 
didn't cost her her role. We know that they're not going to recast Black Panther. Uh, What we do know now is that Black Panther 2 is going to focus on the history of Wakanda, and it's probably going to hint, this is my speculation now, probably going to hint at a way that the Black Panther mantle will be passed to someone else. Be it Letitia Wright's character, be it someone else, the mantle will be passed. But in number two, apparently they are going to work Chadwick Boseman's death into the script, saying that not only did our king die in fiction, but he died in real life. And they did, or by they, in this case, I mean Marvel executive Kevin Feige said that they will not do a digital Chadwick Boseman. Next up, we have a story from Hype Beast, which is disappointing, and it's because the chief creative officer of Pixar, Pete Docter, has addressed the Buzz Lightyear plot hole from the first movie. If you remember in the first Toy Story, Buzz doesn't believe he's a toy. But there's been a lot of questions because when Andy walks into the room and all the toys per- like just go dead and pretend to be toys again, Buzz does the same thing. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why. My favorite theory is that he's uh, Buzz Lightyear is an explorer and so he's, you know, doing as the natives do. Whatever it was seemed pretty serious, so he better play along. Another theory is that It's instinctual as a toy, and thus that's how they know not to come to life in the package. But now we finally get some clarification from Pixar, and in this, Mr. Doctor, Pete Doctor, says, We went through a lot of discussion on Toy Story, the first one, about, like, if Buzz doesn't know he's a toy, why does he go rigid when a kid walks in the room? We had a lot of explanations and talk about that too. And in the end, nobody cared. You lazy motherfuckers. You put so much thought and work into this world and then a actual plot hole comes up and you could have come up with anything and you're just like, nah, we don't care. Lazy bastards. Good thing your fans have done the work for you. All right, my future friends, this next story comes to us from Entertainment. Uh, there's been some rumblings about Galaxy Quest 2, but don't get your hopes up. Apparently, there had been talks about greenlighting this movie back in 2016, but then the wonderful Alan Rickman passed away, and the idea was scrapped because apparently this script that Tim Allen says is a fabulous script had a hiccup because it was about him and Alan Rickman. It was about Taggart and Lazarus and their relationship, which, you know, you can't do when half of the team is dead, or half of the duo, that is. And obviously, they're not going to recast him, but there has been a lot of want from fans and people who were in the movie to do a sequel. So officially right now, there's nothing, nothing but talks. The film's director, Dean Parasat, who also did Bill and Ted Face the Music, said that the idea of a sequel is constantly talked about. There was even going to be an Amazon Studios series spinoff, but that was shelved. Uh, the director goes on to say that there were quite a few of Rickman's scenes that were cut from the movie against the director's wishes. And he says if we're never going to get a second movie, then he would like a full uncut movie to fully see Rickman's performance. And I would like to see both of those. Is it time to start requesting a parasot cut of the film maybe all right my future friends next up we have a story from variety from director paul king we're going to get a movie called wonka this is a prequel to willy wonka and the chocolate factory 
And supposedly it's going to follow a young Willy Wonka and how he meets the Oompa Loompas on one of his earliest adventures. Thus far, it has a release date of March 17th, 2023. Director Paul King is best known for works like Paddington and Paddington 2, as well as The Mighty Boosh. That's right, he's the guy that directed Old Greg. No cast has been announced yet, but I've heard a couple different things. I've heard that they're looking at Timothy Chalamet for the role. I also heard that they're looking at, uh, what's his other notes say? They're looking at Ryan Gosling, Donald Glover, or Ezra Miller. And you know what? If Wonka is going to choke slam someone, then Ezra Miller is who you need. Am I right? Or am I right? And my future friends, I told you we would be talking about HBO Max and all that hubbub. Well, here's why. According to Cinema Blend, thanks to this HBO Max stuff, Nolan is breaking up with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers has worked with Nolan on every movie he's done since Insomnia, but Tenant will be the final movie they work on together because he is breaking up with Warner Brothers over this and uh, he's going to take his business elsewhere. And I bet you that any other company will have him because he's Christopher Nolan. And my future friends, the last story that I have saved before I look for anything new today comes to us from Deadline. Sony's Cinderella is going to dance to a summer release, this title says, Ghostbusters Afterlife to Fall, and Uncharted, Eyes 2022, and more. So, the Cinderella movie featuring singer Camila Cabello in the title role, it's going to be a musical of course, is going to come out July 16th instead of February 5th. It's going up against Space Jam 2 on this new date, but we'll see if that date changes or if even Space Jam 2 moves. Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, and No Time to Die are leaving Easter weekend release April uh, 2nd to the 4th. Peter Rabbit 2 is going to move to June 11th, and No Time to Die might have moved to October 8th, but of course we'll see. Ghostbusters Afterlife has been pushed back again because they want to hurt my heart, it has been moved from June 11th to November 11th, and Uncharted, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, was set for June or sorry, July 16th this year, instead February 11th, 2022. And my friends, that's not all of the things that moved. Those are just the biggest ones. So I started looking for other news, and guess what else has officially been pushed back? This by Flickering Myth is uh, reporting this. John Krasinski's A Quiet Place 2 has been delayed until September. September 17th is the exact date. It was supposed to come out April, but now pushed all the way back to September. And reportedly Morbius has been pushed back as well. I don't know the original release date, but the new release date is January 21st, 2022. And that has to hurt because a January release for a comic book movie? Eh, really? You must not believe in it that much. Or they're hoping that the slower release schedule earlier in the year will benefit them. We'll see. Well, my future friends, that is it for the news. Once again, if there's something I missed that you would have liked me to talk about, please let me know. Twitter, Instagram, email, the best ways to contact me. And without further ado, my future friends, let us take our first break as we hear word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. 
Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on SomewhatNerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. It is time for everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to The Trailer Trove. All right, my future friends, let us start with the trailer that came out today. I'm recording this on the 24th. And the trailer that came out was Godzilla vs. Kong, set for a March 26th release in theaters and on HBO Max. And you know what? With HBO Max being $14.99 a month, if there's at least two of you in the household, it's worth it getting it for these movies because that's less than the price of a ticket or a ticket for both of you. Anyway, this movie looks so incredible. It looks like this action-packed CG fest, and I love it. It's a kaiju movie. It's an action movie. It's a summer blockbuster coming out in spring, and I cannot wait. And a question a lot of people have been asking is, why is Godzilla a bad guy in this? And here I thought I was clever with this answer, but apparently there's a lot of people who agree with me on this and had the idea before me, is that it's not really Godzilla doing all the bad stuff. It's Mecha Godzilla. So when Monarch's trying to figure out, oh, why Godzilla turn on us? It's not Godzilla. It's some other shadow organization or something built this Mecha Godzilla. I don't know why. Just to be assholes, maybe. And then so then Monarch goes to get Kong to fight Godzilla, and they start fighting, and Godzilla's like, hey, what the f***? What did I do? And so I think by the end, it's going to be them teaming up against some other bad guy. And either way, it's going to be sick. All right, my future friends, next up is less of a trailer, more of just a a fun thing to watch. Uh, we have a Red Notice teaser trailer. Um, it was released, I, I found it through movie coverage, the YouTube channel movie coverage. But it's not just a teaser trailer for Red Notice, uh, which is the Netflix original movie with Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. But it kind of features a little bit of all of these different Netflix originals coming out this year, and there's some really good-looking stuff. So if you have time, check it out. Uh, there's one called The Harder They Fall, which is a movie with Idris Elba, uh, Regina King, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, which looks like a Western with a primarily black cast, and I'm 100% down. We have movies with Octavia Spencer, which looks like a superhero or action comedy with Octavia Spencer, Melissa McCarthy, Jason Bateman, Bobby Cannavale, and Melissa Leo. And that sounds amazing coming out sometime this year. Another interesting one, I, I, I'll try not to talk about all of them, but just ones that catch my eye, one called Tick, Tick, Boom, a musical biodrama directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring Vanessa Hudgens, Bradley Whitford, and Andrew Garfield. We have The Woman in the Window, which is based off a novel by A.J. Finn, which seems like a retelling of Rear Window, uh, starring Amy Adams and Anthony Mackie, and Gary Oldman and Brian Tyree Henry and Julianne Moore. Jesus Christ. We have Escape from Spiderhead, starring Chris Hemsworth, Journey Smollett, and Miles Teller, a movie with Jason Momoa, a movie with Dave Bautista. We have Kate an action thriller starring Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, Michael Huisman, and Woody Harrelson. Uh, we have Malcolm and Marie with Zendaya and John David Washington. And then, finally, the last one I'm going to talk about, or just mention, is Don't Look Up, which has a stacked cast. This comes to us from writer-director Adam McKay, who has done movies like Vice and The Big Short and The Other Guys, 
And this stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Evans, Timothy Chalamet, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Ron Perlman, Matthew Perry, Hamish Patel, Tyler Perry, and um, Ariana Grande, apparently. And, you know, I mentioned already that th last year was the year that I learned Scarlett Johansson can act. Is this the year I learned Jennifer Lawrence can act? Maybe. Well, my future friends, the next trailer we have, and it's actual trailer, um... I thought we saw already, and the more I think about it, the more I think they re-released it because the release date changed, maybe? But this is the trailer for Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, the comedy coming out in February, February 12th, starring Chris and Wig, Annie Mumolo, Jamie Dornan, Damon Wayans Jr., and that's really it for people you might recognize. But like I said, I think we've seen this trailer before. I watched the whole thing. It seemed very, very familiar. And here's a question. I don't remember the original release date. So I don't know if that's why they released a new trailer because they have a different release date. Either way, you'll hear me talk about it more in a couple episodes from now. Let's see, two episodes, I think, is when it comes out. Yes. Episode 193, assuming I don't miss anymore, will be the one this comes out on VOD. And we'll talk about it then. All right, next up, we have the full trailer for Cherry. And this is the movie starring Tom Holland by the Russo Brothers. It's based on a novel by an author named Nico Walker. And it looks pretty f***ing dark. It's a crime drama, but it also seems like it has this very slight, very slight tongue-in-cheek feel to it. Because in the trailer, it shows us watching Cherry, played by Tom Holland, talk to the camera while he's doing something like robbing a bank, because this is about an army medic suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder who becomes a serial bank robber after an addiction to drugs puts him in debt. Super bright and cheery premise, I know. This movie looks super good, and I may just have to either straight up buy it if it comes out on Blu-ray, or maybe considering just for a month getting Apple TV+. I don't know, but this comes out February 26th. Or, actually, it may have been changed. Let me see. I am seeing a couple conflicting reports, some saying it's February 26th, some saying it's March 12th. So let's be safe and say March 12th. And finally, my future friends, the last trailer that caught my eye this week was for one of those Netflix originals coming out this year. But this one I didn't see mentioned in that mega trailer. I say mega, but it was like four minutes. But in that main trailer, I didn't see this one mentioned. It's called I Care A Lot, and it's set for February 19th release, starring Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, Isaac Gonzalez, Diane Weist, and uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And this seems like a dark comedy crime thriller about Rosamund Pike, who plays Marla Grayson, who is a dirty, dirty bitch. What she does is find old people living alone, somehow gets the courts to say, hey, oh yeah, they cannot live on their own. She becomes her guardian. She sells her house and all their things and is still their guardian, but gets the money from all that stuff. So it just sounds like a terrible person. But then one day she picks the wrong person. She picks Jennifer Peterson, played by Diane Weist. Weist? Weist? You know, she's that actress who was in Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, Bullets Over Broadway, Edward, Edward Scissorhands. And she was on Law & Order for a bit as um, the interim DA. Anyway, this woman is very dangerous and she has people who will look out for her. 
So after she gets put in a retirement home and loses her house to Marla, Peter Dinklage shows up. Peter Dinklage, who seems like he's an assassin or a strongman or something, and starts going after Rosamund Pike. So it seems like it's a who's going to be worse, Rosamund Pike or Peter Dinklage? Because at first you're like, oh, poor, poor Jennifer. Like, she's this old lady who's being taken advantage of. And then you're like, but wait, wait, look at this. How does she have all of these shady connections? It it sounds like a very interesting film, and I'll be talking about it in a couple weeks. So once again, my future friends, that's all the trailers that I noticed. If I missed anything you think I should have talked about, let me know, and I'll talk about it next week. But for now, let us take our next break as we hear word from our friends at the Nerds of the Squared Circle podcast. And then we'll be right back with the movies coming to streaming this week and uh, the rest of the show. Stay tuned. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me, Snarf Chris, and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah! Yeah! Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. Someone to read a comms, Nerds of the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com. All right, my future friends, welcome back to the show. If the background noise you hear has changed from that dripping to a more consistent whooshing sound, it's because we turned on the heat because it is freezing here. And I actually recorded different segments on different days, so I apologize for any weirdness with the sound. But let's move on to the movies that are coming out on streaming this week. Remember, my friends, if you were never around before COVID, I mean, on this show that is, you may not know how things used to work. Things used to work differently. This used to be a show about movies coming out in the future. And thus, I would talk about every movie that was coming out during the week, everything from a tiny little indie thing to the biggest blockbuster ever, and then I would put them in two different categories, and then rate the ones that I had a lot to say about or the ones that excited me. Well, since no movies are coming out in theaters, really, I mean, there are still some. I I see a lot on the release schedule that say, oh, coming to theaters. It's like, okay, where? New Zealand, where they can get their shit together? Because here we have assholes who are like, Wearing a mask infringes on my right to breathe. Since the biggest movie chains in the country are still not open, I thought instead that I would only talk about the movies coming out to video on demand or a streaming service. So let's start with our first film, which is a movie coming out on video on demand called Haymaker. Haymaker follows a retired Muay Thai fighter working as a bouncer who rescues an alluring transgendered performer from a nefarious thug eventually becoming her bodyguard, protector, and confidant. The relationship leads the bodyguard to make an unexpected return to fighting, risking not only his relationship, but his life. This is a story about human dignity and love. And this stars no one of note. And you know what? I watched the trailer and it just, it it looked so mediocre. The idea is very interesting. I like this idea. You know, another movie that would bring to light the issues and the horribleness that the transgendered community has to go through but let's find a better movie to do that shall we this just looks like a movie that had a good idea but it just seems like it didn't come together so i would skip this unless for some reason this really speaks to you then check it out 
Next up, we have a movie called The Little Things, which is coming to theaters and video on demand. This movie is about two cops who track down a serial killer. And it stars Denzel Washington from Training Day, Rami Malek from Mr. Robot, and Jared Leto from Requiem for a Dream. And yes, this is definitely going on my movies to wait for, so I don't have to pay some extra fee on top of all the other things I'm already paying for. But actually, this may be coming to HBO Max. I'm not sure. Uh, the, the websites I use for my show notes didn't say it was coming to HBO Max, but the trailer is on HBO Max. So we'll see. Okay, I see. I see it right here. So it is being released this Friday on Video On Demand, but it's coming to HBO Max, it says, in 31 days. You know, my friends, it's never super easy putting the show notes together just because... If you've been around for a while, you know I use three different websites. Just because if I just use one of them, I'll miss something. IMDb is always missing something, usually the smaller ones, so, you know, not the end of the world. But also, the other ones sometimes get it wrong. And sometimes IMDb gets it wrong. So please, just always take my release dates with a grain of salt. Just because. But come on, Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, Jared Leto, that is a f***ing phenomenal cast. Alright, my future friends, let's talk about a movie coming out on Netflix called Finding Ohana. A summer in rural Oahu takes an exciting turn for two Brooklyn-raised siblings when a journal pointing to a long-lost treasure sets them on an epic adventure with new friends and leads them to reconnect with their Hawaiian heritage. This stars Kelly Hu from X2, X-Men United, Ki-Hui Kwan from Goonies, and Chris Parnell from Hot Rod. Though none of them are the main characters, the kids are, but uh, they're not as well known as some of the others. So, this one looks interesting. It does. It looks like some sort of weird baby between the Goonies and Dora the Explorer. And this looks like a great, fun family movie and even fun for you if you're an adult if you just want to watch a a fun kids movie it looks adventurous it gives me legend of the hidden temple vibes so that could be worth a watch because come on who of us doesn't have netflix all right my friends next up we have a movie called palmer on apple tv plus an ex-convict strikes up a friendship with a boy from a troubled home and this isn't nearly as weird as it sounds this stars Justin Timberlake from In Time, newcomer Ryder Allen, Juno Temple from Maleficent, June Squibb from In and Out, Dean Winters from John Wick, and Alicia Wainwright from Shadowhunters. So we have Justin Timberlake, ex-convict, goes back home to try and start his life again, and we know that's not easy for convicts, because we want people to pay their due and we go, oh, jail's going to rehabilitate you, but we don't actually give them a chance, ever. Really? People do their time and get out of prison and they're like, oh, but we can't trust you. You're a criminal. Also, fuck your voting rights. But he does find a job and then he learns from his mother that this woman next door left and just left her kid there. So Justin Timberlake starts watching out for the kid and notices this little boy is playing with Barbies. This little boy dreams of being a, uh, a fairy princess. This little boy does things that aren't very little boyish. And at first he's like, you know, you're a boy, right? You shouldn't do things like this. But this boy, God bless him, he knows what he wants. There's this great scene in the trailer I like where he's watching this fairy princess cartoon or something. And he's like, you know, there's some things you just can't be. Like, look at them. They're all girls. You don't see any boys there. Do you know what that means? 
And he looks up and he says, well, it means I can be the first. It's like, oh, God bless your optimism, young boy. But you know what? Things are not easy for this kid because... I don't know where this movie takes place, but let's face it, even though the area I'm from and and lots of California and the West Coast in general are are very accepting, it's still not easy. There's still ass here. You know what this movie reminds me of? It reminds me of Adam Sandler's movie Big Daddy with a huge shift in tone because we get the feeling from this trailer that this kid is going to eventually be put in the system because his mother abandoned him. And no way in hell they're going to let Justin Timberlake watch him, this ex-con who doesn't even have his own place and hasn't even worked at his job for like a year or anything. I, I don't know what the standards are, but but through the trailer, we see Justin Timberlake become more and more protective of, of this kid. And I, I think films like this are important too, because I doubt I doubt before this movie started, Justin Timberlake's character would have been any sort of woke. And I think these movies are important to show it's okay because you can learn. You can learn to do better and be better. And I think that's what this movie is going to show us with Justin Timberlake. So I'm excited for this movie. I I want to watch it. I just have no interest in Apple TV+. Plus. All right, my future friends, we are getting into the movies I'm super, super excited for. And this first one is called The Night. This is about an Iranian couple living in the U.S., and they become trapped inside a hotel when insidious events force them to face the secrets that have come between them in a night that never ends. This stars two Iranian actors, Shabib Hosseini, I think, and Nyosha Noor. And to be perfectly fair, I'm not entirely sure Nyosha Noor is Iranian. I couldn't find anything on her IMDb page. So that's an assumption on my part. But anyway... Let us play a game. Let us play a game where we take a familiar movie, where we take a movie that we know and we just kind of upend it and throw a bunch of different shit in there, repackage it and make it look really interesting. So this movie really gives me vibes of The Shining. This couple has to stay at this hotel, the first one they see, and things really, really weird things start happening. They start seeing things. Uh, they're strangers banging on their door and then they open the door. No one's there which I have to admit always creeps me the fuck out in movies. And quick story time. Okay, quick story time. I I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but it's been a while. Uh, When our cats were but wee kittens, they gave us a very big, or at least one of them, Leah, the female cat, gave us a really big scare because we were up in bed. And then we heard this bang, 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 bang. And it sounded like it was coming from inside the house, like a very violent banging. So me... In true slasher movie fashion, just grab the grab a weapon, and by weapon I mean a boken, you know, Japanese wooden sword. I forgot if I put any clothes on at all, and I just go investigate. Which means I would be the first to die in one of those movies. My wife would be like, "No, don't go. I have a bad feeling about this." Then I'd be like, "No, I'm gonna go check it out. I got this." And then Michael Myers walks up the stairs in a sheet with my glasses on him or something. Anyway, it scared the crap out of us. We had no idea what it was. And was it the next day or a couple days later, we figured out that she had had a hairball and she had tucked herself in between this couch and this little inlet that we put our our upright vacuum. So she backed up into the vacuum. The vacuum slammed against the wall. That's what we were hearing. So yes, long story short, random banging where you can't find out the source Kind of creeps me out. But look, that's not the only scene in the trailer that made this look interesting. Overall, it looks like a good 
indie horror. Though I do admit, in my history of watching movies, indie horrors are probably one of the most risky genres that I watch. Look, some mindless CG-filled action movie, it's pretty easy to tell by the trailer, pretty easy to understand what's going to happen and get a feeling for the film. With a movie like this, the film could very easily go in a different direction than the trailer made you think. It could also show you all the great scenes in the trailer, leaving nothing left. Or, trailer guy, we haven't talked about trailer guy in a while, this magical person who is behind all these great trailers, Trailer Guy could have his way with it and make a movie look way better than it should. But I'm always willing to take a chance, and I'm going to take a chance on The Night. I think it looks pretty good. All right, my future friends, two movies left. The next one is a Netflix original film called The Dig. This is about an archaeologist who embarks on the historically important excavation of Sutton Hoo in 1938. This stars Carrie Mulligan from Never Let Me Go and Rafe Fiennes from The Constant Gardener. I do want to see this movie. I was excited for it. This was almost going to be my pick of the week. And for those of you who don't know or don't remember, in the normal show, when it's mainly about the films coming out during the week, when I don't give reviews for movies because I don't have to, because the theaters are open. In those times, I always have one pick of the week, at least one, a movie that I'm super excited for, and the one that I say, if I do see a movie that week, that's the one I'll see. So The Dig was almost that movie, because I think it looks really good. It looks like a historical drama romance set in the UK in a place that sounds like it's named by Dr. Seuss, Sutton Who, and it just seems like a charming movie. And I like seeing this. I like seeing Netflix original films being totally different, running the gamut, having a wide variety. Because if this movie came out in theaters, I would fully expect it to go to the Nickelodeon, which was which is our local indie theater here. I would fully expect it to go, go there or the Del Mar, which is owned by the same company and it kind of does both. It'll have like one big picture and then a couple indies. While I would expect other Netflix originals like The Old Guard and... Um, Oh, it's that one I really hated. Six Underground, that one. So those two Netflix originals I would fully expect to be in a big theater chain because they were big, exciting action films. And I'm really excited to see the future of Netflix original movies because, uh, let's be honest, they've been diverse for a while, but with them coming out with one new movie each week, at the very least one new movie each week, we're going to get a lot of new stuff this year. So The Dig was my pick. Still looks very interesting. All right, now it's time for my pick of the week, the movie that I think everyone should watch if you can. Unfortunately, this one isn't on one of the bigger streaming services. This is coming to theaters and video on demand this week. I stand corrected. Uh, since this wasn't a Netflix or Hulu or Amazon movie, I wanted to look up where you could find it so I can tell you all, but it looks like my sources were wrong. This movie comes out in theaters this week. Indeed, it doesn't hit digital until February 16th. So technically, this can't be my pick of the week, since I normally wouldn't have talked about this until February 16th. But you know what? We're already talking about it. Let's just keep going. I, If I remember to, I'll say something that week. So I guess technically my pick this week is The Dig. So this movie is about Sam and Tusker. Yes, Tusker, not Tucker 
who are traveling across England in their old RV to visit friends, family, and places from their past. Since Tusker was diagnosed with dementia two years ago, their time together is the most important thing they have. This stars Colin Firth from The King's Speech and Stanley Tucci from Julie and Julia. Let's be honest, I'll tell you the first thing I thought when I saw this trailer is that this is Oscar bait if I've ever seen it. And you know what? Oscar bait movies can be good. But we know right away from the trailer that this movie isn't playing fair. So it's going to hit us in the feels a couple of ways. First of all, we have this couple that's been together for a while. They're both starting to get a little older. At least the actors who are playing them are 60. I'm not sure how old their characters are supposed to be, but I assume it's somewhere along the same age. So, you know, not young anymore, but not old, old. So we have this couple, been together for a while. And whenever we have in a movie something like that where we're going to lose or see one of them lose the other, that's automatically sad. Unless you don't have a heart, that's automatically sad. We also see them losing them to dementia. So that takes it up even another notch. That's even sadder because they're going to lose their loved ones before they're even dead. Let's add to the fact that it's a gay couple because whether or not they mention it in the movie, we can assume that they didn't have the easiest time. And now after only 20 years together, they're going to have to part ways. And let's add on top of that a very Leisure Seeker-esque one final hurrah, one last big trip. And then on top of that sh you cast two of the most talented actors working today in those roles. And if this movie is as good as I hope it is, movies like this are what I use as an example on why we should be okay with people playing characters that are unlike them. Meaning that Colin Firth and Stanley, and Stanley Tucci as far as I know, are straight. Because let's be honest, the problem we have with representation in cinema isn't the fact that, that, that we need to have only gay people play gay people, only transgender people play transgender people. No, we need more res representation in general. Have a transgendered man play a man? Sure. Transgendered woman play a woman? Of course. Just more representation. But enough of that. Let us finish talking about Supernova. I predict this movie is going to go along the same way that the lawyer did. Or not the lawyer, <laughs> that the, the judge did. Uh, the judge, if you remember, was that movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr., Robert Duvall, Vera Farmiga, Billy Bob Thornton, that huge cast. And what I mean by comparing the two is that I loved the judge. It was a very well done movie. It was fantastic as far as the acting goes. But it was another movie that's setting you up for a very emotional journey. And I do own The Judge, and I have rewatched it, but it's a rare rewatch. And I think that, if it's good, that Supernova is going to be the same. Usually at this point, I might turn to the pedigree of the writer and director to go, oh, look, this is the person who worked on this and did this. But this was written and directed by a dude named Harry McQueen. And he has only written and directed one thing before, and is a movie back from 2015, or 2014, called Hinterland. So once again, when I when I say something like this, I'm not saying that it's not going to be good or that just because this, this director hasn't done a lot, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bad. It just means we can't rely on the credentials of this person to make ourselves feel better that maybe the movie is going to be great. But nonetheless, I think this is. I think this is a win, and I think it's going to be 
Harry McQueen's first notable movie. Because honestly, I don't know how well-received Hinterland was, but all I know is I've never heard of it. And a lot of my movie-going friends love indie films, so if it was a big deal, I probably would have heard of it. So yes, once again, this is coming out in theaters this week and isn't hitting digital until February 16th. I will hopefully remember to tell you what service that's on or if it's on VOD. Because if you look at Bleecker Street and how many movies they did, uh, this is a Bleecker Street movie, a lot of their films are available to stream on Amazon Prime. Hopefully this will go to Prime and they won't try to do a VOD thing first, then Prime. But I'll tell you when the time comes. All right, my future friends, let us take our next break as we hear a word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast. Please stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy fucking language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, the fuck did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every fucked up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of fucks and garnished with a crown of Shut the fuck up! How the fuck did we get here? Fuck all that a jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. All right, my future friends, let us jump into the first movie this week, and that film is called The Dead Don't Die. This is about the peaceful town of Centerville that finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. This is brought to us by writer-director Jim Jarmusch, who brought us movies like Broken Flowers, Patterson, Stranger Than Paradise, and Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. So, I was looking forward to this movie. Because I trust Jim Jarmusch. I mean, his movies don't usually don't blow me away, but I like them. Uh, they're artsy indie films, but I, I see where they're going, and I like it. Full of good performances. But this one, this, uh, oh, let me tell you who's in it first. Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover, Caleb Landry-Jones, Rosie Perez, Iggy Pop, Sarah Driver, Riza, Carol Kane, Selena Gomez, and Tom Waits. Come on, look at that cast. Iggy Pop? Iggy f***ing Pop? And it's a zombie movie. It's a comedy zombie movie. And I went into it preparing to like it. And I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't at all. Somewhere in this film, somewhere in here was a really good idea. I don't know where that idea went because we seemed to have a very, a very straightforward movie. So we have Bill Murray and Adam Driver as these two cops, or Chloe Sevigny's one too, but she, honestly, her character really lacks, but that's a conversation for a bit later. So we have three cops in this small town and... Then the zombies start to rise. First, it's only two people, or two people, two zombies. But then more start coming up, and the, everything starts going crazy. And that's really when the plot starts to lose it. Because at first, it's simple. Small town cops, something's going wrong. They have to figure it out. One cop, played by Adam Driver, just has a feeling that something more is going on. So this film, early on, is part small town life, part crime drama, part comedy. Easy. 
But then as more and more starts happening, the plot doesn't go anywhere. Nothing happens. The weirdest part, the weirdest, weirdest part is that we get these three kids that get introduced. Okay, they're not really kids. They are adults, but to me, they're kids because I'm old and bitter. And they're led by Selena Gomez and they're just on a vacation, but nothing happens. They are introduced. We see Caleb Landry Jones's character, Bobby, have hard eyes for Selena Gomez because she's nice to him while her two friends are huge dicks, like gigantic rock hard dicks. And they make it to this hotel and nothing happens. They just die. They serve no purpose. If this was a war movie or if this was a gritty crime drama, I would write off their death as a lesson that the world works like that, that you don't have to have some sort of big story arc in your life. You could just show up and die. Think about Vin Diesel dying in Saving Private Ryan. One of the main characters just eats it early on. I mean, a lot of them die, but he's a big deal. And I think he's the first one. I think he's the first of the main characters to die. And it happens because that's war. But in a movie like this, I didn't understand the point of introducing these kids at all. And then talking about kids, we have some actual children. Okay, okay, here, here's something I didn't get. Just one thing, Bill? No, so many things. Okay, so this is a small town. Centerville is a small town. I forgot what their population was on the on the sign. They have a welcome to Centerville sign, population, blah, blah, blah. And it's some very, very small amount. But within the city is a juvenile detention facility. So you have a, a population of under, God, let's say under 9,000 random number and you have a juvenile detention facility what the fuck is going on but i digress that could be oh it could be the one for the county that's why whatever so we meet these kids who are some of the smartest and best characters in the movie and then near the end their storyline is 100 percent dropped 100 percent so they're in this detention facility, zombies are taking over, they're actually really smart, and they're really good characters, and then they escape from the facility, and all these zombies are about to go, and someone goes, oh, I know a safe place we can go, and that's it, that's the last you hear of these kids, what the actual f**k, Jim Jarmusch, what the f did you just forget because you're old? You're 67. Are you, do you maybe need an assistant to read your, read your scripts to make sure you finish shit? Okay, so we have that. That sucked. Good characters. Lots of promise. Can forget them. And then we have Bill Murray and Adam Driver, who were great. But also we have Chloe Sevigny, who I like as an actress, but her character is shit. She is f***ing useless. She seems like she's taken straight out of a 50s or 60s movie as the emotional woman. It's like, oh, look at this woman being emotional with her feelings. Look at these men, stoic and strong. She has no backbone. She has no purpose. She has a stupid death. And then we have Adam Driver, and I love Adam Driver so much. He is amazing. But his character breaks the fourth wall, and I don't know. I don't get it. Because he keeps on mentioning during the movie that this isn't going to end well. And then when things are starting to really go to shit, he admits to Bill Murray that he read the script and that's how he knows. And Bill Murray says, oh, you got the full script? He's like, yeah, Jim gave it to me. He's like, I didn't get the full script after all the shit I've done for that guy. And this is really funny moment that could have really changed the flow of the movie into something interesting, but it doesn't happen. I would have forgiven 
the fact that Selena Gomez and her friends didn't matter. I would have forgiven the fact that they forgot those kids existed. I would have forgiven the fact that Chloe Sevigny's character kind of sucked. I would have forgiven that if the pivot from this realization that they broke the fourth wall went in a different direction. So instead, it was a critique of the movie, maybe even a critique of the genre. But nothing that smart happens. And what's really f***ing weird is that it goes off the rails when we have Tilda Swinton's character who plays the this weird woman who works at a funeral home and... She comes out with her samurai sword because she's obsessed with Japanese culture. That's great. I like it. I love seeing samurai swords and stuff. And she starts killing zombies expertly. And then an alien spaceship comes and picks her up. Who knows why? So much of this film had potential. So much of it did. There was so much good that could have come from this film, but it never did. Oh, Carol Kane. Carol Kane also had a small role in this, and it was funny. It was great. And then Steve Buscemi's character, Farmer Frank Miller, also kind of confused me because he's wearing this Make America White Again hat and obvious f*** you to Trump. And it, I don't get it. Like, I get it. I get saying, saying uh, I hate the MAGA movement. I hate Trump. I, I get saying that in a film. Because some artsy indie director using their platform to speak out politically, I would understand that. But it didn't f***ing matter. Not even one bit. Because it wasn't really used as a, oh, this is what happens. Like, this is the kind of evil that I think he's spreading and this is his just desserts. It didn't really feel like it had a point besides just making him an obvious racist. And then we have Caleb Landry Jones and Danny Glover, their characters, who we have Bobby, played by Caleb Landry Jones, go in to save Hank, played by Danny Glover, who works in a f***ing hardware store full of fucking possible weapons for zombies. And they lock themselves in there. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. But they don't really don't do anything. The zombies break in the back door and they're like, well, guess we're f***ed. Too bad we don't have any weapons around here. Too bad his hardware store doesn't sell guns, sells guns. He has guns in the store because he sells them. Guns are behind the counter because his store sells guns. The hardware store he works at may or may not have firearms for sale. And what? Even though guns aren't a very effective tool against zombies because, you know, they create noise and you have to reload them and all, uh, whatever. There's a, it's a goddamn hardware store. It's a goddamn hardware store. So any one of these problems I've had, any one of these problems I had would have been forgivable for the film. But the fact that there were so many problems and the plot just tapers off into nothing made this movie horrible. And it pains me to say that because I love so many people in this cast. It was great seeing Danny Glover. Steve Buscemi, always a treat. Bill Murray, f***ing legend, but this was a mess, a true mess that started out with a lot of promise, and it could have been really good, but I, I don't know what happened. Do we need to start calling for a Jarmusch cut of Dead, The Dead Don't Die? Because maybe somewhere, somewhere on the cutting room floor is a better movie he made? Was he on every drug when he made this? The amount of potential for this zombie horror was staggering. You know what? I'm going to say something controversial. Are you ready? Are you f***ing ready for it? I think Michael Bay could have done this better. I think he could have. Do you know why? Because even though he's a shitty f***ing director and he makes mostly garbage, 
at least he would have done the zombie part right. Because I would fully understand if this was supposed to be some sort of nod to something else, a, a an allegory for saving the environment, an allegory for anti-Trump, an allegory for something if it was clearer and made sense. So I was just farting around on the Dead Don't Die page on IMDb, and in underfrequently asked questions, someone asks, some hero asks, why did the police department and the entire town refuse to kill the zombies? They have enough guns and other weapons to kill them. And some asshat, some fucking asshole, answers, why do people refuse to stop destroying the planet? Although everyone should know what to do, they just have to get it together and make some effort. It's social commentary. People are brainwashed, slow zombies, and they're gonna perish. Listen, you Mumford and Sons listening, vegan chai latte drinking, non-prescription glasses wearing sack of shit. Your f***ing little answer is garbage. If this movie was complete, I would think that this mouth-breathing hippie had a point. Because what I forgot to mention is that this, this movie does have a subplot of fracking causing a polar shift and the polar shift of like destroying technology and then bringing the dead back to life or some shit. So if the film was actually a complete film with a thought that traveled from the beginning to the end, then I would have supported that answer. Then I would have clearly said, yes, this was clearly the point Jim Jarmusch was trying to go for. But instead, this mess, this absolute mess that he puts out deserves no such defense. This film was bad. If you like the actors, I mean, really, really like the actors, maybe watch it. Maybe. Just to support them. Otherwise, skip this. I have a friend at work who loves Adam Driver. I would tell him 100% to skip this film. It is complete garbage and not worth it. If you want to watch a better Jim Jarmusch movie, watch anything else. Watch Patterson. Watch Stranger Than Paradise. Watch Ghost Dog. Watch Bl Broken Flowers. But skip The Dead Don't Die. Because The Dead Don't Die gets a 2.5 out of 11. And you know what, my future friends? Let's just do our final break right now. And then we'll go into the next movie and then straight into the question of the week. So please stay tuned for a word from our friends from the We're Doing Fine podcast with Robbie and Lisa. Please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. All right, my future friends, welcome back. It is time to talk about one of the biggest stinkers of last year. And that movie is called Cats. A tribe of cats called the Jellicles must decide yearly on which one will ascend to the heavenside lair and come back to a new Jellicle life. This stars ballerina Frances Hayward, Robbie Fairchild from An American in Paris, the musical, Laurie Davidson from Will, 
which was a show on TNT about William Shakespeare, I guess. Singer Jason Derulo, Jennifer Hudson from Dreamgirls, Idris Elba from The Losers, Rebel Wilson from Bridesmaids, James Corden from Into the Woods, Dame Judi Dench from The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Sir Ian McKellen from Lord of the Rings, and singer Taylor Swift. For the life of me, I can't remember the last time we had such a famous flop on our hands. I can't remember the last time we had a movie so bad that the world stood up as one and agreed this is crap. Critics and real human beings got together and said, no, 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 this movie is horrible. This was a bad idea. And it's true. Because I will be honest with you. I wanted to really like this. I really wanted to like this because it'd be fun to watch a good movie, right? And I also really wanted to watch this or like this so I could be that contrary asshole. Boy, no, it's actually really good. All of you people are just haters because I'm a gigantic piece of shit. But I knew I wasn't. I knew it. And I knew it from way back when the trailer came out. It looked horrifying. And if I remember... I believe I said something about, oh, it could just be them still working on the CG, because we all know sometimes a company will release footage for a trailer that's not totally done. I mean, it's not bad, it's not obviously unfinished, but it doesn't have that finishing touch, that je ne sais quoi, you know, that will make it that much better. But I will tell you, that's not the case with Cats. But before I get too into it, let me say something positive. There were true moments of brilliance in this movie. There is talent in this movie, but unfortunately, the talent got overshadowed by everything else. Francesca, I think I said her name wrong when I was talking about the uh, stars, ballerina Francesca Hayward, she was quite good. Cats was her first movie. As she hasn't even done a TV show, the only thing she ever did before was a short called The Sun is God, which doesn't actually look like a short movie per se, just dancing. But she's also very talented. She's the principal ballerina at the Royal Ballet. And that means something, I bet. I bet you it means something very impressive. And I'm not just being a dick. I don't know how impressive that is. It just sounds really cool. And for someone that's never acted on the screen before, she did a good job. But the two people who really impressed me as far as acting went were Robbie Fairchild and Laurie Davidson. Robbie Fairchild played Monks, Monkastrop, Monkastrap? Um, I, I don't know how you say these stupid names. And Laurie Davidson played the only character I actually knew beforehand, Mr. Mistopheles. And you know what? They were good. And for someone that's only really done a couple episodes of TV and a couple shorts, I think that he has a bright future ahead of him. And you know what? Jason Derulo gave it his all. He really did. But Jennifer Hudson crushed it. I thought she did a really good job. And it's just sad that the performances of these people, the great performances, are never going to be fully appreciated. Because, oh my God, was this some sort of mess. I'll be honest. Cats doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any f***ing sense. It is so weird and confusing and purposefully obtuse that I think the only reason, the only reason it's such a beloved Broadway mu musical is Andrew Lloyd Webber's great songs, is the costumes, not CG, the f***ing costumes, 
and just the Broadway experience. And not only did that not translate well to the screen, but the fact they chose to make the cats, you know, not just makeup and costumes, but CG was, it was so scary looking at times. It looked really bad. An attempt was made at something great and it failed. I could see what they were going for. I really could, but I think it would have been a better idea if they like did the first CG thing, like maybe tested it first. I don't know if they tested it first. They they had to have, right? They had to have done something and looked at it and went, yeah, this is the look we're going to go for. But it shouldn't have been. Someone should have went, no, do you guys understand how horrifying this looks? These anthropomorphic cats? Not even anthropomorphic cats. It, the, these things that look like a human and cat splice, a furry's wet dream. Anytime you make a movie and it has the potential to be a favorite of the furry community, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing? And I know, I know it's wrong to kink shame. And I know I pick on the furries a lot, but uh, no, just no. And just no for cats. I, I think it still would have been a really weird movie just because the story wouldn't have changed, but I think it would have been more palatable, and I think it would have been better if they did makeup and costumes instead of this computer monstrosity that they gave us. But no matter what they did, Cats was never going to translate well. Cats was never going to translate well from the Broadway stage to the big screen. Maybe that's why it's taken so long to do it. Because do you really think no one had the idea to make a movie out of cats before? Even before CG was everywhere and te the technology was so great, even before then, you didn't think anyone thought, huh, why, why can't we just, uh, you know, make it a movie? Because it makes no sense. What the f*** does Jellicle mean? And they're called the Jellicles, but they want to live a Jellicle life, but they want to be the most Jellicle so they can be reborn and they have to do so under a Jellicle moon. I want you guys to watch the pitch meeting for Cats. If you've never watched it before, pitch meeting is this wonderful series done by this guy named Ryan George or George, George Ryan, Ryan George. And it's, he does it for Screen Rant Media on YouTube and they're hilarious. And his Cats, I think, is my favorite because he picks out things in movies that really make no sense or seem stupid parts of the plot or decisions the company's made. And I even love it when he does it to one of my favorite films. I go, yeah, that was dumb. But everything he says about Cats is so true. That whoever finally greenlit this Cats movie probably had a huge money boner, thinking that, oh, this is a much-beloved Broadway play made by one of the legends of Broadway, made by the same guy who did Phantom, Phantom, Jesus Christ Superstar, Avita, all of those were turned into movies and they did well. Why not Cats? Hmm, this is why. It is a truly pointless movie. And if you think about it, the more you actually think about it, it's really, really dark. And it doesn't make any sense. Because they're, they're competing to die. And a lot of the ones competing don't have bad lives. Something Ryan George points out in the screen, uh, screen rant, in the pitch meeting, is that why does, okay, what's the bad guy's name again? McCavity. Why does McCavity want to re, like, uh, start over so bad? Because he has so much, he has so much power and influence, and he has it all. 
The only one who really needed the fresh start was Grizabella, played by Jennifer Hudson, who gets shat upon the whole time. So not only is this a mindless, pointless film, not only does it make no sense, but it's super predictable. And I think I, I think it's good that I've never seen the play or the, the Broadway musical. I, I think it's better that I didn't because I think I would have been angrier because even though it makes no goddamn sense, I think I would have liked the stage production because of the pageantry, because of the music, because of the experience. That's what it would have given me. But this film took that all away and it buried some really good acting. Cats is utter crap and it needs to go in the litter box. Cats gets a 2 out of 11. And please keep in mind, the only reason it got that 2 was because of the, the acting that I really did like. And that Mr. Mistopheles is one of the catchiest songs that, that, that just gets stuck in my head. Because remember, oh well, I never was there ever a cat so clever as magical Mr. Mistopheles. And last thing I swear, I swear to God, if Jason Derulo's character's name, Rum Tum Tugger, isn't some euphemism for jacking off, that was a terrible name. Well, my future friends, that is it for the movies. Let us jump into the question of the week, and then I'll tell you about what movies we're going to watch for next week. And if you don't remember, the question of two weeks ago, since we just had the awards ceremony, that is, the question of two weeks ago was, what was your favorite film from last year? And it could have been your favorite film that was new last year, or just new to you. Um, it didn't occur to me that I've already answered this question in the last episode, but I'll just reiterate without going too deep into it. Uh, we didn't get any answers from outside of this very house. So remember, please, if you ever want to answer a question of the week and you think it's too late, it's never too late. Just let me know. Hell, you can go back and answer the first ever question of the week, which I don't remember when it started, but you could do that and answer it. And I'll talk about it on the show. But also, please remind me if you're going for an older question, what the question was. So let's talk about favorite movies from last year. The first and only answer besides mine comes from my wife, Anne, who says Palm Springs. This was the Hulu original movie that came out last year, starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, J.K. Simmons, Peter Gallagher, Meredith Hanger, Tyler Hochin, uh, June Squibb. And if you remember, I did talk about it on the show and I too really, really liked it. I thought it was really well done. Uh, the premise is as follows. When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. So basically, this is a Groundhog Day-esque movie where they relive the same day over and over and over again. So kind of like Groundhog Day, like Happy Death Day, like The Edge of Tomorrow, and Palm Springs. And when a movie takes an idea that's been done so many times, you have to do something different, and this one did. Because it's it could have so easily been a basic rom-com with a time loop, and it was so, so much more. I, I can't even explain how much more it is. It was such a clever movie. And I highly, highly recommend it. So yes, that was Anne's favorite movie of last year, and we know that mine, out of the original releases from last year, my favorite was Tenant, and out of the all the movies I've seen, I saw last year, Little Women. The most recent Little Women, that is. The more I think about it, the best thing about the lockdown was the fact that I've had more time to 
enjoy more media. I saw more movies last year than any other year before, and a lot of them were good. I enjoyed quite a bit of them, and I got to see movies like Palm Springs, like Tenant, like Little Women, Booksmart, which is also really good. So, my future friends, it is time to come up with a new question of the week. So, the new question of the week is, what was the most disappointing movie you saw last year? And I know I already answered this in the last episode in the uh, Future Flicks Awards, but I want to know what you thought your most disappointing movie was from last year. And I will try and get better at asking on the various social media platforms so we may start getting answers outside of just me and my wife and every once in a while Brian Q and Frat Matt. Not that I mind it just being us, you know, a close-knit little family, but let's try and get more interaction. And then what movies are we watching for next week? And you know what? I'm going to put the George Clooney sci-fi movie on the back burner for a bit. So next week, we're going to do Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. And we're going to do another HBO Max movie, which I know not everyone has, but it's a movie from last year. So I thought, why not? And that movie is Doolittle. Yes, the Robert Downey Jr. Doolittle. So once again, the movies for next week are Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Doolittle. So without further ado, my future friends, it is time for the closing housekeeping You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website, that is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast, share with your friends, that is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.